0: I would like to add someone to our group here. Uh, professor Paul Weiss is Sterling Professor of Philosophy at Yale. And I guess I don't, I guess I do have a copy of the book that he recently wrote with his son. It's the one you may have read about in Time Magazine called Right and Wrong. It's a dialogue between father and son. His son is here and will be out later. He's a lawyer. And um, Mr. Weiss is, did I mention this, Sterling Professor of Philosophy at Yale? You've seen him on the show possibly before. He's. A, Most interesting teacher I had, Ale, because he was, um, he didn't lecture. Uh, The class was fluid. He um, answers questions as they're fired at him. And I'd like him to meet you if you haven't met him yet, and to meet Mr. Baldwin and Phyllis Newman. And here's Dr. Paul Weiss. Were you able to listen to the show backstage? I a good deal of
1: it, but then I was behind the rostrum. Yes, so you heard only
0: some of it. Did you hear anything that you disagreed with? I disagreed with a great deal of it. Mm-hmm. I,
1: uh, am one of Mr. Baldwin's admirers, have written him ten uh, letters, and uh, of course there's a good deal I agree with, but I think uh, he's overlooking one very important matter. I think each one of us, I think, is terribly mm-hmm. alone. He lives his own individual life, he has all kinds of obstacles in the way of religion or color or size or shape or lack of ability, and the problem is to become a man. For each one of us, I think all us talk about uh, uh, poverty, race, uh, prejudice, it's important, vital, but it's not really at the center, it deals only with the means in the way or the obstacles in the way of becoming something much more serious and important that is to be someone in yourself to become a man is a difficult job it takes a lifetime
2: i don't disagree with that at all i didn't think you would but um i take that for granted i really do
1: ah that you see but by taking it for granted you emphasize always the obstacles in the way and uh, perhaps you have it in mind but i think your hearers very often forget that you have another objective in view, the one we both agree upon. Is what I'm talking about. I thought was asking that question before when he asked you, aren't you being more extreme? Isn't there some other end? Is it all hopeless? In one sense, it is not hopeless. In another sense, it is. It's hopeless in the sense that nobody ever attains the state of being a full man. But it's not hopeless in the sense that every one of us has a problem which he can resolve more or less within himself. These obstacles are terrible, I agree with you but they're not insuperable if you know what you're looking for. Yeah,
2: but what I was discussing was not that problem, really. I was discussing the difficulties, the obstacles, the very, the very real danger of death thrown up by the society when a Negro, when a black man attempts to become a man.
1: Yes, but there's another important connection with that. And I suppose you do agree, all this emphasis upon black men and white does emphasize something which is here, but it emphasizes or perhaps exaggerates it and therefore makes us for, uh, put people together in groups which they ought not to be in. I have more in common with a black scholar than I have with a white man who's against scholarship. And you have more in common with a white author than you have with someone who's against all literature. So why must we always concentrate on color or religion or this? There are other ways of connecting men. I'm not
2: talking about that. I understand I know that. You're not. I understand that. But as we sit here now, by the will of the people, a man named Ronald Reagan governs California. And the terms I'm using, you must understand, are not the terms that I myself might choose. I'm not interested in whether a person is white or black or green future. or yellow. I'm talking about the force of the state which at this moment is oppressing black people all over this nation. Not all. The force of the state which is oppressing every black man in this nation. You
1: write freely, don't you? Is black getting in your way as being a writer, an author,
2: Yes, it is. I'd like to know how things like gets in the way of your being an author. In the first place, no, no, now you put me a little bit on the spot. I'd I, like, wanted I to. don't like to discuss myself or my work. All right,
1: let's not talk about you. Let's talk about some other black author or white author.
2: No, let's not do it that way. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I mean. I'll use myself. Let's go for broke. It is, um, the first difficulty then. Is to, and you will say this is true for everybody, but I, unlike you, all right? Um, in the first place, I have to deal with the fact that my history, my history, is inaccessible to me. That my history in this country begins with the bill of sale. Your, your individual history? My name is Baldwin. Yes. It's an old I English understand. name.
1: My name is Weiss. It was been derived from somebody else. Maybe my great, 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 great ancestor was white-haired or whatever. I don't yeah, know. but you have at least the Psalms of David. I don't have them. I don't think I've read them in 10 years. That doesn't matter. Or 20. I couldn't tell you one of that
2: them. That doesn't matter, Doesn't it? No, it doesn't. One's got, to, one's got to face this fact. Let us say we're both black, right? We both get here at the same time, right? You come from one tribe, I come from another. You speak one language, I speak another. We cannot talk to each other. We don't know what is happening to us. We're confronting a white man with a Bible and a gun at a cross. And what you have to do, if you're going to live, is accept this stranger, this book you cannot get read, under the gun. Wait a moment, wait a moment. You ask me a question, I'll do my best to answer it. Yes, but you want to give me a chance to say something, yeah, too. One moment, one moment. I will, i really will. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to... uh, Can I do something
0: even more unforgivable because due to the mechanics, if we don't pause now, we may not be back for a while. So we will, and then we'll be back. Stay with me. Gentlemen, uh, where were we?
2: I was in the middle of the Psalms of David. Yes. It's a tribute to me (laughs) somehow. But I was trying to make a a point. The point is this simply, that one began here with a history, uh, uh, an identity, not only inaccessible, but also systematically and deliberately Denied and destroyed. One, the Moynihan report talks about the breakup of the Negro family, and it occurs to me as a you know a very bitter kind of comment on the people who did their best to break up that family, now to blame the family for, for being broken up, and to suggest he wasn't some, he
1: doing that. If I report, uh, I read. Okay.
2: Well, there are, no, you know, there are no there are no male father images for the Negro child. Big news. What are you trying in the to imply. In, in, the, in the first place, in the first place, that's not as true as Moynihan would like to think. Otherwise, there would be none of us here at all. The point is that, then you know, we'll come back to where I was. One has to really excavate out of the absence of a history, and then, and then out of the presence of a history which is absolutely indescribable. You must remember that I was taught, and children, black children, until the day are being taught that no black people commit, ever contributed anything to history. That I was not much better than an ape, you and know, I was lucky to be discovered in Africa by white people.
1: Mr. Baldwin, but if you, if your case were carried out all the way through the way you're putting it be hard to understand how you ever wrote a word. After all, you're a distinguished novelist. You must have had time of freedom. Somebody must have paid attention to it. You must have been reviewed uh, objectively as an author, not as a Negro. Nobody gave a damn whether your great ancestor had been born or sold, but they treated your literature or your work in its own terms. That's where you wanted it, that's where you had it, that's where you're having it now. What are you criticizing? What are you objecting to? That there are terrible injustices, everyone admits, but you're generalizing and you're rigidifying, you're solidifying it in such a way as if nobody, there's no way out. You're an exhibition of the fact there's a way out. Am I? Yes. You yourself admitted, you're not—you're not not just the incarnation of blackness.
2: You're an author. That's why I think of you. I beg your pardon. I am also the oldest of nine children, all of whom are black. I am one of the few survivors in my generation, all of whom—the people I'm speaking of—are black. There Jimmy Baldwin, or Sammy Davis, or Harry Belafonte, or Sidney Poitier. There are a whole lot of people you've never heard of. At least equally talented, perhaps more talented, mm-hmm. who did not manage. I'll tell you how one makes it in this country if you're black. You know, you have to decide somehow that you are not going to be controlled by what white people think of you. Of course. Of course. Anybody. What
1: anybody thinks of you, ultimately, you have to think of yourself and be uh, true to yourself. I don't
2: care what Senator Eastland thinks about me or either. Ronald Reagan thinks about me, but they have the power to destroy my life and the life of my children, and this is given them by the will of the state. I'm not talking about myself as a writer. Of course I'm a writer. I know that. I know it produced me, too, and it was not simply Charles Dickens or any of your colleges. It was also Bessie Smith and Ray Charles, and my mm. father, who was a preacher, and my mother, who mm-hmm. learned how to sing. That's
1: cool. Anybody who's a writer... What
2: I am trying to say is that the gap, the distance placed between myself, and my own assessment, my own experience, was much greater than it would be for any white person in this I country. I don't believe it. I know you don't believe it. Uh, I'm not complaining. I'm not uh, copying a plea. It's not a special plea. I'm trying to make you see something. To Every child starts from scratch, they are
1: uh, helped in various exterior ways in order to be able to find themselves, but the finding of themselves goes within. To become a writer is a something that you have to struggle with by yourself, in yourself. And all these other things are conditions and problems, and I grant you had more than other people have. I didn't
2: even say that, I said they were different. I'll tell you this, when I left this country in 1948, I left this country for one reason only, one reason. I didn't care where I went. I might have gone to Hong Kong. I might have gone to Timbuktu. I ended up in Paris, on the streets of Paris. With $40 in my pocket on the theory that nothing worse could happen to me there than it already happened to me here. You talk about making it as a writer by yourself. You had to be able then to turn up all the intent of which you live because once you turn your back on this society, you may die. You may die. And it's very hard to sit at a typewriter and concentrate on that if you're afraid of the world around you. The years I lived in Paris did one thing for me. They released me from that particular social terror, which was not the paranoia of my own mind, but a real social danger, visible in the face of every cop, every boss, everybody. Everybody, no
1: matter who, no matter what his attitude is bigoted.
2: I did not say that. Well,
1: it has an attitude, it's on its face, it's in the way
2: of every boss. But you are every asking boss. me, you're asking me to do something impossible. You're asking me to take the will for the deed. <laughs> I don't know what most white people in this country feel, but I can only include what they feel from the state of their institutions. I don't know if white Christians hate Negroes or not, but I know that we have a Christian church which is white and a Christian church which is which is black. I know as Malcolm X once put it, the most segregated hour in American life is high noon on Sunday. That's a great deal for me about a Christian nation. It means that I can't afford to trust most white Christians and certainly cannot trust the Christian church. I don't know whether the labor unions and their bosses really hate me. That doesn't matter, but I know I'm not in their unions. I don't know if the real estate lobby is anything against black people, but I know the real estate lobbies keep me in the ghetto. I don't know if the, if the Board of Education hates black people, but I know the textbooks that give my children to read and the schools that we have to go to. Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never, I never seen. See. I never see.
0: Thank you, Mr. Do I take 30 seconds to answer that? Yes, uh, Jonathan. All, all right. Uh, we will be back after this message. <laughs> ...near me. Mr. Baldwin, I, I'm sure you still meet the... Uh, remark that um, what are the Negroes, why aren't they optimistic? Um, And I again, I apologize and preface this by the phrase, the Negroes, because it lumps together an awful lot of people. Um, You and um, Floyd McKissick and um, Adam Clayton Powell and Hattie McDaniel and Jackie Robinson, and uh, it's impossible I suppose to, but for want of a better phrase, if you'll allow me. uh, they say, but it's getting so much better. There are Negro mayors. There's Negroes in all, all of sports. Uh, there are Negroes in, in politics. There, uh, uh, they're even accorded the ultimate accolade of being in television commercials now. Um, I'm glad you're smiling. Uh, is it at once getting much better and still hopeless? Well, I don't think there's much hope for it, you know, to tell you the truth. You
2: know, as long as people are using this peculiar language. It's what I was trying the day before when I said that it's not a question of what happens to the, to the Negro here, or to the black man here. That's a, that's a very, vivid question for me, you know, but, it, but the real question is what's going to happen to this country. I have to repeat that. Now, if Negroes, you know, don't seem to be very optimistic, it's not because they suddenly all change from happy, shift, you know, shiftless, dancing, darkies down on the levee, picking all that cotton and singing praises to the master. Mm -hmm. They've not changed at all, they never were optimistic. All one's got to do is listen to Swing Low Sweet Chariot and ask yourself what that song's about. Or try to really listen to what Ray Charles is really telling you. We have lived under these intolerable conditions for how many years, maybe 400 years. We have evolved a certain kind of style to meet it. And a lot of that has been involved with the lies we had to tell to you and uh, the lies he had to tell to you, this compounds a disaster. You believe because you wanted to believe it, but uh, obviously, obviously, you knew. Every white man knows that he did not. He would not himself, you no know, lying track for nothing. He would not himself allow his child to be sold from him, as though the child were mule. He would not himself allow himself not to have the autonomy of his own house and his own woman who would not himself be going like Cotton and carry it to market just because he loved white people. We all know that. And the word Negro in this country is, really is designed, finally, to disguise the fact that one is talking about another man, a man like you, who wants what you want, and insofar as the American public wants to think there has been progress, they overlook one very simple thing. I don't want to be given anything by you. I just want you to leave me alone so I can do it myself. And it also overlooks another very important thing. Perhaps I don't think that this republic is a summit of human civilization. Perhaps I don't want to become like Ronald Reagan or like the president of General Motors. Perhaps I have another sense of life, which in fact my situation here has forced me to trust. And perhaps I know more about you and your institutions than you know about me. And perhaps I have a judgment on them. Perhaps I don't want what you think I want. And if there's nothing you can give me, perhaps there is something that I can give you.
0: Mm -hmm. Where do you stand in relation to the Negro figures in our media that we see who frighten us the most? Um, And maybe some of you the most, Um, the ones who want to burn it down, Um, demolish it. The ones yeah. who have totally given up. I assume you haven't totally given up.
2: Well, I'm still alive. There's still breath in yeah. me, and so as long as breath is in me, I will never give up. But if you think that rap brown, you're referring to rap really, and, Stoke, and Stokely, are, are something new, you know, I refer you back to an old, old song. No one even knows who wrote it. Mm. And it's supposed to be spiritual. It's supposed to be about, you know, um, Christian church, but it really is a slave revolt song. The man says, if I had my way, if I had my way, little children, great God, I've had my way, I'd tear this building down. It is not new for me. We've always felt that. It is new for you. And if, if we were white, if we were Irish, if we were Jewish, if we were Poles, if we had, in fact, in your mind, a frame of reference, our heroes would be your heroes too. Nat Turner would be a hero for you instead of a threat. Malcolm X might still be alive. Mm -hmm. It is that you can face, in some ways, the discontent of white people, when they rise, they are heroes. And everyone is very proud of brave little Israel, state against which I have nothing, I don't want to be misinterpreted, I'm not an anti-Semite. But you know, when the Israelis pick up guns, or the Poles, or the Irish, or any white man in the world, Mm -hmm. says, give me liberty or give me death, The entire white world applauds when a black man says exactly the same thing, word for word. He is judged a criminal and treated like one and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so there won't be any more like him. Now, you can do this if you like, you know, until, until your party is over. But I know, after all, who my heroes are, and George Washington is not one of my heroes, for example, neither is Booker T. Washington. What the American public has always tried to do is to accommodate me into a system which is always meant to my death. They want me to become an accomplice to my own murder. That is what you really mean by integration.
0: Uh, that's impressive, I don't understand it. That last sentence.
2: So we Carmichael says, and he's quite right, Integration is a euphemism for white supremacy. The truth is that we have been integrated here since we got here. You know, that is not what the battle is at all. If Negroes in this country arrange from every color under heaven, from yours to mine, to people even blacker than me, that gives away the history and tells us what happened. Or as an old black woman once put it to me to sum it up. She said, white people don't hate black people. If they did, we'd all be we'd all be black. That's something you've got to face. I mean, you, the American Republic. We are your brothers, your disowned, you're disowned brothers, and sons and sisters and daughters.
0: You got to face that. There's a sense in which I don't think you answered my question, I and mean, no, we will be back in a moment. Stay with us, Mr. Baldwin. I guess what I meant by not answering my question was this: you got to kind of simple idea of what Stokely Carmichael and H. Shrap Brown mean and it's maybe because we may not read their words in c- complete form but we see them for a minute on the news and they're yelling get guns burn so forth um, and all I was asking really was are you more moderate than that in your present mood and are they saying too much are they over making a point well the point that they're trying to make cannot be overstated I'm much older than Rapp and
2: I'm much older than Stokely. And to that extent, I can be called more moderate, I suppose. But on the other hand, the difficulty here is this. I can't, and Martin Luther King said this too in another way, I can't really ask um, a black boy younger than, let's say, 20 years old, right? Mm-hmm. 17 years old, 25 years old. There are two things I can't ask him to do. I can't ask him to allow himself to live on the terms bequeathed him by the American white people of this country. I cannot ask him to uh, allow the forces which rule this country to emasculate him. I cannot do that, I won't do that. I don't, on the other hand, want to will not either you know counsel a generation you know to go out into the streets to die but there is nothing in the evidence offered by the book of the American Republic which allows me really to argue with a cat who says to me they need us to speak to cotton." And now they don't need us anymore. Now they don't need us, they're gonna kill us all off. Just like they did the Indians. And I can't say it's a Christian nation. Your brothers will never do that to you because the record is too long and too bloody. That's all we have done. All your buried corpses now begin to speak. I can't depend on the American moral credit to save some of the people whom I love. But you don't have that moral credit. You know, you told yourself, yourselves, and us for all these years, nothing but lies. Now, I want you to understand something. I am not interested in making an accusation. I'm not even talking about the past. I'm talking about the present. This is not an accusation. It is a plea for the life of this country. Because no matter what I say, no matter what Martin said, the despair in the ghetto, the despair throughout the country accumulates with every hour. And people grow up much faster than you think they do. People people are uptight about Stokely now, as you said, black power. No one is concerned about white power, which is now wiping out Southeast Asia. No one can say about the white power which keeps my children in this in the ghetto, which does not educate my children, except to become inferiors. This is power. And when the Republic reacts as it did to the linking of the two words, power and black, it's a confession of what the country has done with its power.
0: Have you ever thought that there might be a basis for prejudice against Negroes specifically that is maybe deeper than anything anybody has said yet. Uh, I don't mean that I'm about to say it, but I mean by this, is it possible that you always have to deal with the prejudice against Negroes separately from almost all other racial prejudices? And has anyone ever offered a theory that it's something unrational, something subrational, some almost tribal, irreducible fear of the color black or something that, that may put that kind of prejudice are... into another category? Very
2: many people have suggested that, but I don't, I'm not sure that I entirely buy that. Um, I'm not, you know, I was lucky enough or desperate enough to live outside this country for a while. And I observed, you know, that if I walked down the streets of Paris or Stockholm or uh, Istanbul with, you know, Phyllis, for example. Nobody even noticed it. The only people I've noticed, the only people who really get uptight when they see a black boy working with a white girl, for example, are Americans. And I've seen this a thousand times, I've seen it once. we walking down the street, she and I talking to each other, minding our own business. Or I'm walking down the street by myself, and here comes, you know, somebody, you know, with his girl. And something happens in his eyes, something happens in his face. I don't, I don't want this girl. I haven't even seen him. You know, I don't care what they're doing. But something stiffens in him. Some trigger goes off in him. As so I'm gonna steal the girl. Well, it isn't because I'm black. It's because you people pay for what they do. It's not because I want to steal his girl he's uptight about me walking down the street, or uptight about Phyllis and me walking down the street. He's uptight because of some buried guilt. He knows what he's done. People always know. They pretend they don't, but they know. I don't want to rape you no know, white women, but you know I know how many of my women have been raped, and I know by whom, and so do you. You know. Now, in fact, that I, I don't think anything in, you know in the uh, in the black ferment, the black revolution, really involves revenge or, or, or is vindictive at all. You know, it is the white imagination, the guilty white imagination, which makes which makes this out of it. And it's this, is this which paralyzes us in all our social activities, you know, it's the reasonable, no one says anything about the labor unions, you know, the schools, the, the situation of the people in the ghetto, nothing about the police. You are a very real menace to every black cat alive in this country. And no matter how many people say, you know, you're being paranoid when you talk about police brutality, I, I know what I'm talking about. I survived those streets, in those precinct basements. And I know, and every black cat in this country knows, what the policeman's really like, and furthermore, I'll tell you this. I know what he was like when I was really helpless, how many how many beatings I got. And I know what happens now because I'm not really helpless, but I know, too, that if he doesn't, if I haven't got the presence of mind, you know, to do whatever I have to do, he doesn't know that this is Jimmy Baldwin and not just some other nigger. He's going to blow my head off just like he blows off all the other, everybody else's head. And this is done with the will of the state, and it can, uh, this cannot be overstated. Mm-hmm. It can happen to my mother in the morning, to my sister, to my brother it's only now beginning to be borne on you since it's happening to your heroes, what has happened all these years to us. For me, this has always been a violent country. It has never been a democracy. Um,
0: I I do get the feeling that you overstate for rhetorical purposes sometimes. And when you say uh, the thing about the policeman, uh, the simple phrase once, come to my mind, but there are some good policemen, in the sense that you, when you say, I could never vote for the Republicans as long as Nixon is in the party, or I could never vote for the Democrats as long as, who shall I say, Sen- uh, Senator Eastland, or? Uh,
2: Senator Eastland,
0: for um, example. Um, yeah, but that, that leaves no door open. There's no hope then. You, door to what? I'm well, only,
2: I don't, I, let me let me try to make it very clear. What I'm saying may be stated badly or awkwardly, but what I'm trying to say cannot be overstated. No tongue can overstate it. No, it takes you a long, a long time in stammering to state to it. I, I agree, I,
0: there's no eloquence equal to the race problem. And of course there but, are some
2: good policemen, yep. you know? uh, no doubt. Um,
0: I, I, I just think by you, you risk being misunderstood by people who would be, pardon the expression, sympathetic by what sounds like too broad a statement.
2: But you must understand, you must understand that part of what is happening here is a tremendous gap between uh, my experience of life, and am using myself as a black man, right? and your experience of life, you as a white man, okay? Mm-hmm. And you say sympathetic, for example. But you overlook, you know, I hate to put it this way, because I can always take one too, that I, historically speaking, have lived here with your sympathy. know, for a very long time, it may have occurred to me now that if I could live with your sympathy as long as I have, I can possibly live without it. And I want your sympathy, anymore. maybe I can't afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about individual policemen, and no doubt Nixon loves his children. I'm talking about the structure of which these people work. Yes. Policemen in the ghetto are not there, no matter what liberal newspapers may say. They're not there to protect my life, they're there to protect your property. Mm-hmm.
0: Stay with us, stay with us. We'll be back after this message.